0: Adam Taylor is a psychology graduate, a life coach, an educator. He's also the founder of LifeHubCoaching.com. He works with clients in in, in, in all aspects of life, in professional circles, in the corporate world. He works with athletes, people who are navigating significant change in their life. I found some of his insights and his ideas really, really useful and really inspiring, Um, and I hope that... You will too. A big shout out and a big thanks to everybody that has subscribed so far. I really appreciate it. Those that haven't, if you find this content useful, uh, helpful in any way, uh, feel free to like, comment, share, subscribe. Really appreciate that. And it really helps the channel grow. Thank you very much. Adam Taylor, welcome. Thanks for having me. Tell me, what does a, a life coach do?
1: So a, a life coach is um, a, a, a professional that um, has a, a set of skills, a, a toolkit that's designed to help people um, change their lives in, in a way that that individual wants. So um, a, a life coach will guide a person through um, transitionary period in the life, or even a stagnant period of the life, um, in a way that the individual wants. So um, it's a very non directive approach. Um, you, you could say that potentially a, a life coach, say in the media, is like a, almost seen as a guru. That's mm. absolutely not what a life coach should be. Um, a life coach is there as as someone to guide and to point in the right direction. Um, And and, and they're they're trained to do that. They're not trained to give advice.
0: And what kind of qualifications, if I wanted to become a life coach tomorrow, where would I go? What would I do?
1: Yeah. I I mean, there's, there's lots of people out there with lots of qualifications. The, the, the gold standard, the industry standard would be getting an, international coaching federation accredited qualification so there's a number of institutes um, across ireland that do them Um, i got mine through the irish life coach institute Mm. Um, but the whole idea is that you go through that rigorous process to make sure that you're um, you're you're qualified Um, so it's it's not that easy it's In a way, it's a bit like psychotherapy where you have to get a certain number of hours before you can call yourself a life coach.
0: Mm. Yeah. Why did you decide to become a life coach? What was it about the profession that attracted you?
1: Well, I'm, um, so uh, some of my qualifications are in psychology. So um, I've got qualifications in education and a bachelor's in psychology. And I'm particularly interested in the relatively new field of positive psychology. Mm um and, and what i mean by positive psychology is that um historically you go to see a psychologist when you're in the doldrums you know mm-hmm. um the whole you know the freudian term of psychosis and all of that you're you're very mentally unwell so that the field of positive psychology and, and related as performance psychology is looking at how how can we get the best out of people how can we take someone that's mentally well and raise the bar for them. Um and and when I read about um life coaching and went to a life coach myself I thought this is very much aligned to me. What kind of people are
0: looking or are needing life coach? Who are your clients? Well
1: it it really could be anyone. So again that change piece is so important. People that where change might have come upon them mm. or they are looking for change in their lives when they know something's not right mm. um, and, and that can be absolutely anyone so generally um, it's it's professionals in that kind of 25 to 55 age bracket um, so fairly even across the genders um, and, and and they're there for a, a, a range of issues within their life uh, whether it's someone wanted to make a decision if they wanted to go into foster fostering people mm. um it might be someone looking to retire um and, and figuring out is this something that is genuinely something they want to do um so for, so a lot of life coaches actually look for a niche mm. so you get generalists um or you can you can get life coach with a niche so For example, I'm I'm looking at doing um, uh, an addiction coaching um, qualification um, and extra training because it it fits in in my field of career at the minute. Um, Others might look at something like executive coaching where they're looking at business and looking at those high power people at the top. So it really, look, it it depends. There's um, hundreds of life coaches across Ireland uh, now it's it's as an industry really grown in the last ten years, particularly through um, the pandemic and, and coronavirus. Mm. Um, but if you're looking for a life coach, it's that ICF qualification that you're looking for first and foremost. If if you found someone with that, then you're going in the right direction.
0: Okay, so ICF qualification. What stops people? from arriving at a conclusion or a decision or a, uh, a deciding upon the change themselves. What, what do you think is inhibiting them discovering this new direction for themselves where they feel they have to reach out and, and get help? Yeah.
1: So very often people will be, will have what's called unconscious incompetence. So there is a, a psychological theory um, and, and it summarizes the, the Johari window. Um, so a, a box window, um, a bit like the um, shelf behind me. Um, so on on one side you've got uh, what you're consciously aware of, and on the other side you've got what you're unconsciously aware of. Mm. Um, and then below that, what you're competent at and uncompetent um, at. So people would come to me when they're aware of something going on for them can't quite figure out what it is um for for example um i've worked with a lot of athletes um, and and a few musicians as well and those professions tend to be short-term contracts and very short career spans so you you get people when they're young in their 30s and they're faced with do I finish this career and find a stable career or do I go on for another couple of years and try and make this work? And so that, that would be an example of um, someone that, that they're aware that there's something within them, but they need to explore it with someone.
0: Mm. And when you say, so you're working with a musician or an athlete, you're talking about somebody potentially
1: giving up their dream. Exactly. Yeah. Very, very much so. Like, um, and and the, the the number of high profile footballers, for example, that have um, fallen off the the wagon um, mm. once they've retired. You know, Paul Gascoigne springs to mind, or um, Diego Maradona.
0: Mm.
1: Um, these are people that were at the the elite of the profession. Their whole identity evolved around what they could do for ninety minutes on a football pitch with a with a mm. f- football. And all of a the sudden, they're, they're, they're getting injuries. They're, they've lost a yard of pace. Um, they can't keep up with the, with the young lads that are, that are now out competing them. And so they're left with this identity crisis. And what do they do? That They traditionally have filled that with some kind of addiction, something that will give them that euphoria of, of playing their dream. Mm. Um, different for musicians, it might be, you know, any well, most good musicians, once they're competent, sure they, you know, they can play for the for the whole lives. It, it, you're just talking scale, mm. but it really is the, the athletes that I've seen that that've struggled with dealing with um, an, an end of a career that are, they're highly skilled at and and having relatively few transferable skills.
0: You think, of, well, you think of people like Kenny Samson, for example, who's photographed on park benches. You think of yes. Ra and his struggles. Um, yeah, and absolutely. Part of it could be the age in which they go into the industry, that they don't have life skills. They're not taught life skills. They don't have third yeah. level education. And then they go in and then they're at the end of the, their career. Um, so what would be the difference between, say, a life coach when you, when you make an intervention and a psychotherapist or a counselor?
1: That's a great, great question. That's a great question. It's a matter of time. So a a psychotherapist um, focuses on the past. They look at trauma. They they look at um, historic events that are affecting the person today. Mm. A life coach deals with today. So what is affecting you right now? Uh, There there is a, um, a slight crossover in that sometimes the past can prevent can present itself in the future mm. um, so for example uh, bullying might be a, a good example of that uh, workplace bullying um, someone was bullied as a child and th- they went through it they didn't really resolve the trauma that occurred to them and then 25 years later they meet a similar personality that's up to the same tricks and and so so that can bring up um, it can bring a presenting trauma, mm. and so you can work through a, a life coach to resolve that. Um, so, so it really is a difference of time. Mm. Um, you say you work
0: a lot with you, you. You see, you work a lot with people. Say in the um, the, the, the professionals in the in the corporate industry, the tech industry, etc. You may be aware, obviously, right now there's a lot of disruption in the industry. Particularly in Ireland, there's a lot of um, redundancies, people are being laid off, Um, there's a downturn in the economy. Um, If you were working with them, would you be helping guide them into a new role? Would you be giving them career guidance advice? Like, What does that look like?
1: So it's about helping the person make their own informed choices. So, life coaches always use the metaphor. I'm going to use it now. Um, when when a life coach works with a client, it's like we're driving a car. Um, the life coach has the map, but the 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 client has the wheel, the accelerator, the 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 brakes, and all the rest of it. Mm. Life coach can make suggestions. Life coach can ask questions. Maybe you want to go this direction. Maybe you want to go that that direction maybe you want to do a 180 and and go back the way you came it it's the client that's in control so so it's the life coach's job to ask those questions that another that another person wouldn't maybe think to ask mm-hmm. to, to to help a person realize or actualize their thoughts uh, and then the, their dreams and and hopes following that um so the, the tagline for my for my business which is Life Hub coaching uh, a quick tag <laughs> lifehubcoaching.com if you want to check my website out um there's three steps the way i work three steps there's defining um sorry there's uh discovering defining and then performing so in the coaching journey, you're doing these three things. So in the beginning, you're, you're bringing all of the thoughts and feelings that are unconscious into the conscious. And that can be very challenging for people. So, and and, and you mentioned, you, or you asked me earlier, what prevents people uh, from, from making these decisions is normally themselves. It, it's their own internal struggles and battles and, 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 their own personal history um, that they're kind of contending with and and the life coach will help them to um, see past those barriers um, and and, and help them to see possibilities. So once we've done that, we can then start defining the path we're going to take or should I say the client will take. So um, we'll, we'll bring in like what resources are available um, who can support you is there any gaps that you need to fill? Mm. Is, there a, is it a financial thing that you need to sort out? Define all of those elements. And then the most important piece is performing. So not just talking about it, but then actually going and doing it. And, and that starts on session one. Mm. We, we, don't, we don't fool around. We don't wait until session six. No, you, you need to start acting on, on what, you're, what you're discovering about yourself now. Hmm. Although otherwise um so you know, otherwise you you're you're putting off what's good for you. Well they say action is the antidote to anxiety. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So would you say that people when they're they're coming to a life coach, I mean obviously they're experiencing a lot of anxiety, they're anticipating change. Um an anxiety would be something they present with. It must be something they present with because they have anxiety about even making a decision about, about where they go. And they've, they've, a lot of confusion. How would you yes. work with somebody then to, would you, would you try and help them with say mindfulness or relaxation or meditation and stuff like that? Would you, would that be in your kind of arsenal?
1: Yeah, very much. So it's definitely within the repertoire. So mindfulness. So being a life coach is trying to get people into the present. So, Anxiety is about thinking, overthinking about the future. Mm. Anyone that's anxious is, is worried about what might happen. Mm-mm. So you can't make a decision when you're thinking in those terms. You have to make a decision based on the present, what's happening right now. Um, and, and so mindfulness, meditation, there are great ways of doing that. Sometimes just a, a, what's called a powerful question. That really hits the nail on the head and, and can change someone's mindset um can do that um so so yeah to answer your question that there's a number of tools that we can use um, visualization is often very powerful as well
0: um so there's an aspect of it then that you're, you're talking about helping people to design their life right their future yeah. life right yes, yeah, um, and you would be visualizing and working with them to 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 try and to visualize that actual future life and and give them um processes and ideas and 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 steps mm-hmm. and show them steps to take to get mm-hmm. there um so say for example i am I am in the tech industry um I'm working for Microsoft or salesforce or or one of the companies that is doing layoffs right now, and i I present to you. Um and i I would explain to you, okay, I've been laid off, et cetera, et cetera et cetera I'm looking to, to make a change in my life. What kind of time frame are you talking about How quickly can you can you help people come to a decision? Are you talking two
1: months, a, a week, six months mm. well, what's the time frame look? Like? Mm. That really depends on the on the, on the individual mm. so So if you are action oriented, then it it, you know, it could be within a couple of weeks. If you're someone that needs to really process and, and feel and emote, then, you know, yeah, um, yeah. six, 10 sessions, maybe 12, 12 sessions. It, it really does depend. It, it, it's a very individual process. Um, so but, do you, do you, in the grand scheme of things, if it is going to take 12 weeks, three months, one quarter, it's it's not a huge amount of time. Uh, do, do you find people, when they present
0: to you, right, um, they have beliefs about themselves, right, that are inhibiting them in terms of their growth, right? So they might b- yes. believe that
1: yeah.
0: they're no good, they're not, you know, the redundancy yeah. or whatever has had a massive impact on their self-confidence. Yeah, You yep. see that a lot?
1: I'll give you an example um, of, of something, of, of the unconscious becoming conscious for someone. I was working with um, someone in, in the equestrian world and, um, and she um, became injured and had to leave that industry and, and um, because of dangerous work, working practices, um, went to then sue her former employer. Um, so we were working on this and, and she had crippling anxiety about this case um and we were talking for four or five weeks about not so much about the case but about what she can do to be herself again and after four or five sessions it was like a light switch something went from unconscious to conscious she was talking about how she doesn't feel physically herself anymore and how that translated into the mental and then it clicked so the presenting past came up Mm. so she was someone that always had um, crooked teeth and and problems with her with her teeth and and her jaw and 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 it was like a light switch came on and, and and so the whole session became about her teeth which sounds kind of sounds a bit um i don't know maybe maybe it's a bit small in in light of everything that's going on for her, but to her, it was the most important thing. Mm. I'm I'm going to go get my teeth fixed. Mm. I'm going to go get pearly whites, straight as an arrow, and that will help me with the case. Did it? It did. Well, in terms of the case, it helped her with her mindset towards the case. She was able to present herself confidently as a result. Yeah, And and, and therefore, think positively about the case.
0: Yeah, that makes that makes absolute perfect sense. And I can understand yeah. why. Yeah. Yes. Um, because this is a lifelong something that had been buried, but obviously it had been upsetting for her. Yeah. And it yeah. had affected her massively affected her confidence in everything she did in her life. And then yeah. she's facing this monumental case. Bottle. 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 Yeah. 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 Um, that's very interesting. Um, so if you're working with somebody, right, say for example. How do you? Um, what kind of challenge do you see the most that they have to overcome? Right? Is it, um, is it career? Is it mentality? Is it? Is it stuff that happened in the past? What? What? What challenges do they have to overcome?
1: Do, do yeah. See- so, so very often um, mentioned earlier, it's their own internal battles. Hmm. So it, you're battling your and and we all do it and i do it and you you probably do it. i assume we're always in on some level fighting with ourselves mm. so in in terms of career um pe- people as you say in, in tech are, are being laid off um why are they in tech in the first place what was motivating to go in
0: well that's a terrific question to ask
1: yeah so, so i don't maybe from your point of view uh so, so what made what made you lean into to going into the tech industry?
0: Um, I felt that sales, <clears throat> my ability and experience in sales, um, would be a good fit for that industry. Yeah, I knew that it was the high status. Industry. Okay, that's okay. number two, and number three, I knew there was a lot of opportunities in Dublin at that right. time. Right. right. So it was a confluence of a number of different things. Um, yeah. And I wanted to, I'd worked in the travel industry previously. So I worked for, for a travel tech company. Um, and I wanted to, to see a great global company
1: from the inside. I see. Yes. So they're all very um, healthy reasons to go. And the, the one that I found very interesting was the the, the status. Mm. So how many people, and if you go back to the footballer, the musician, mm. when they're at the elite, they're very high status mm. and, and the, the accolades to go with it. And it's the same for, for people climbing the corporate ladder. You, you make junior manager, manager, area manager, director, and you, that's, that's the trajectory that most people want to go. Mm-hmm. And very often and, and it's the same across industries people look for status and most people now find their status in their career mm. um most people with good careers are providers too so that that, mm. that whole provider aspect um for your family for for whoever um is, is very important for people too but it, it's the status that drives people um we, we are a hierarchy of a species mm. um uh, that that's not that's without question um mm. and people want to be as high up the hierarchy as possible um so if your whole identity revolves around your career and all of a sudden the rug is pulled from underneath you you're, you're left on the floor with a with a sore ear. um and and that's very much what people have come to me that that May lose their employment for a number of reasons. That's that's how they feel psychologically. They feel hurt.
0: Tell me about um a growth mindset, right? So say for example, somebody is does actually get yeah. they get made redundant or they lose their job. What's the, what's growth mindset and what's the opposite of growth mindset? Okay.
1: So so this this is I'd say probably 70% of the people I work with um have have a mindset problem, let's say. Mm. So Let's start with a fixed mindset first. That's, that's easy to define. Um, a fixed mindset is, is learned. Um, growth mindset's learned in very early um, in, in a person's development. So a, a, a fixed mindset um, prevents people from accepting failure and learning from it. Someone with a fixed mindset, when they reach an impasse or a challenge that they can't on their own, in that circumstance overcome, they hide and run away and say it's stupid and who could do that anyway and it doesn't matter. And so that, they blame external. They externally blame. Mm. It's, an, it's, it's a reaction of frustration and anger. And anger is a secondary emotion. Anger always masks a more primary emotion, which is something like shame. So if you think every kid's growing up, their least favorite subject is maths. Mm. So uh, almost everyone I know has a very fixed mindset in relation to maths, like algebra. Oh, who needs letters in numbers anyway? Oh, it's stupid. Whoever's going to use that? Mm. Well, actually... We use it all the time. Do you know, we're not consciously doing algebra, but we, we actually are. Um, when you eat, when eat someone goes shopping and, and they're looking at discounts, you're doing the maths in your head, whether you realise it or not. Um, but people have a fixed mindset in relation to it and say, I'm, I'm rubbish at maths. I, I, do you know what? Maths just isn't for me. Mm. Okay, so let's take someone with a growth mindset. They in um, their development, they might start doing something like they'll do their times tables, and they might get their three, five, seven, and nine times tables, perfect. But the right times tables just, just can't get it. Um, instead of getting frustrated and angry, someone with a growth mindset will see it as an op- opportunity to learn a new skill and therefore grow. Okay. Mm. So look, math is a really easy one that we can all relate to on some level, I'm sure. But if you bring that into, <clears throat> excuse me, bring that into the adult world and these small problems can become big problems. So if, if we go back in, into the, the the world of athletics, um, you take um, someone like um, a, a marathon runner, which is very, very psychologically demanding and they're always coming second place to someone else. Then you can understand how a fixed mindset can um, can affect someone. I give you. I I'll actually, I give you a better example. So, the I've recently been working with someone in uh, classical music, and they told me the story. And this is common, I believe, in in classical music the way classical music is taught is taught with a fixed mindset. So um, uh, the the person described to me how all the way through their childhood, they were never good enough. Even though that they passed all their editions, they were winning their competitions, they were performing in orchestras, they got into the top university in Europe. Um, And yet nothing was ever good enough well if that's the message you're only ever getting you're going to internalize that so when it comes to performing or competing your mindset is going to be more if something goes wrong if i make the smallest of mistakes what well, that means i'm a failure you know if i hit one note wrong out of a thousand i've failed and so people with a fixed mindset will seek perfection mm when perfection does not exist, someone with a growth mindset will recognize that they played a note wrong, brush it off and go, okay, so next time I'll focus on that piece of the music and make sure I'm concentrating when I play that note. So that that's, that's the biggest difference. Um, you can see growth mindset all across athletics. So um, the top tennis players, Djokovic, Federer, um, to a lesser extent, Andy Murray, they're all growth mindset. They do not let defeat stop them from winning the next tournament. They don't internalize a defeat and they don't take defeat as an intrinsic um, value statement on themselves. They say, okay, I was beaten on the day. Okay, let's review the tape and let's see where I went wrong. So next time I'm playing that guy, I'm going to beat him.
0: Yeah, and there's, there's a very important thing you mentioned there as well about, so say when you do experience a defeat, say yes. when you do experience a knock, that you don't go, ah, oh, well, you know what? Um, yeah, I was never going to win anyway. And, and the other person, they were always going to win. They were always yep. better, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That fixed mindset in life, in everything, can really be inhibiting, right? Um, yes. It yeah. can inhibit everything, but it it looks like it sounds like it's coming from childhood experience and, and childhood trauma. Do you have do you have strategies like um to move people from fixed mindset to growth mindset? Is there a way of doing that, a
1: technique that you deploy to do that? Most people with a fixed mindset um, are unaware they have a fixed mindset about something. Mm. And the, the biggest myth, by the way, in terms of mindset is that you you are either fixed or growth. Mm. That 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 couldn't be further from the truth. We are all growth mindset in some area of our lives and we're all fixed mindset in some area of our li- <clears throat> excuse me. We're all fixed in some area of our lives. Do you
0: um out of curiosity, do you encounter a lot of people in life that are carrying regret? Right. So does that does
1: that affect
0: decision making,
1: do you know? Um, I suppose, as it, in my experience, people people that don't have regrets are in denial about the regrets they have. So, if you go back to to the fixed mindset piece, mm. um, people need to feel perfect in order to feel happy, and which can engender a huge amount of denial. Mm. And and so if people have regrets it, you need to grieve that so so it it it's a process of grief and so going through the five stages of grief you know um you, you can start with denial but you very quickly got to get to acceptance um and 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 the route people take on on that journey is different you can skip a stage you can you can be in denial for a very long time and then you go through the anger phase and then quickly to acceptance, or it could be for months. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's very much a process of of uncovering the unconscious thoughts and feelings, using that toolkit that I mentioned in the beginning. That most qualified coaches have. Um, the most important element from a coaching point of view is actively listening so people that talk for living are, are, are very very good at talking not always good at listening um listening with empathy listening with no bias and no um no subconscious transference of values from yourself onto someone else if someone is regretting something they need to feel absolutely confident in the person they're disclosing to because it's actually grief that they're talking about. They're grieving what could have been. Um, And and so these are very fundamental skills that it's not just life coaches, it's all kinds of of professionals have in, in the psychological field. Um, so, so, so it's fundamental to, to coaching is that you explore these things.
0: Yeah. I have, I've come across that before where they, they talk about regret and acceptance, um, and, and accepting yourself is, and forgiving yourself is is at the heart of overcoming regret. But I guess as we get older and we mature, we accumulate and acquire, uh, regret in our lives, um, and dispensing with it. Is, no. is is very very important um so is it is it important for a life coach right to have personal experience of so say some, somebody comes to you like you've worked with say sports people and uh, equestrian people and people in the corporate world how important is is for your personal experience
1: that that's, that's that's a great question as well um do you need act- you don't necessarily need life experience to be a good life coach. Mm. If you can learn the toolkit and, and and if you can, if you get enough practice, so long as you're not doling out advice and pretending to be something you're not. Mm. So, so long as you're being an authentic, genuine person in your career, then you don't necessarily need life experience. Now, I would say, in my own opinion, that life experience is hugely important hugely important because we talk about regret and and forgiving yourself in order to overcome that that grief from from the from the regret. if you can learn to do that yourself, then you can help other people through that process there's no question um so f- from my own point of view um i've experienced um childhood bereavement say um and so i've used that life experience of many years now of of talking therapy and and coaching and i bring that experience to my clients and it doesn't have to be bereavement it can be anything um so 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 i I didn't really i was a bit of a politician's answer i think (laughs) well bereavement
0: is uh bereavement can be applied to everything. I mean, when somebody loses their job, you you can you can yeah. it. There's a yeah. similar road that a person has to travel. Yes, so yeah. you have to go through the, the different stages of of grief. Um, there are there are lots of different coaching methods and, and and styles. How would you describe your coaching style? Do you have a style? Is it something you've
1: thought about? Yeah, so probably the most famous coach is Tony Robbins. So he's got that bombastic nature, right? He's got <clears> that that real kind of go get him. Um, you can do this kind of very, I want to say, American approach. And it's worked for him. He's been genuine and authentic. Mm. That's, that's who he is. I am much more... Well, first of all, I really, I I want to integrate it with more different types of psychological intervention. So I will make sure a person is relaxed, comfortable, and empathetic. I will give them lots of space to explore. Um, I I, I go at their pace. I don't force anything and build a relationship. Um over number of sessions some are quicker than others it depends on the individual um so so my approach is very much more looking at the emotions getting into getting into some of the nitty-gritty and slowly pushing people where they don't want to go but they know they need to go in an
0: example of that
1: yes so um i was working with a league of ireland um footballer and he, he was approaching r- retirement um and 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 so he had to try to come to, to terms with the fact that retirement was approaching and regrets that he didn't do things differently to 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 play in england and and to play for ireland and 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 um, the envy of watching people that he grew up with going on to do that. Um, and, and so we, we worked on a number of things. Um, but he realised that he had been held back through his career by crippling anxiety. Um, and so we worked on mindset stuff. We, we worked on... Um, him coming to terms with approaching a new career. And he transitions very, very handily, then very easily into, into a new career. He's blossoming. Um, he, he was, you know, his relationships improved because he was less anxious. Uh, and, and so by going into the, the Johari window, Bring the unconscious into the conscious, and understanding where those incompetences were that we can improve on. A huge amount of it was um, processing emotions in order to communicate his wants and needs. And once he was able to do that in his life and career, the anxiety became easier. It became manageable.
0: If you were, if you were um, working with somebody right now going back to the corporate world right who has faced redundancy um what would your what would your advice be to them in terms of handling that shock in terms of handling the the i suppose the 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 life-altering change that they're facing how what would you say to them
1: i think um when when people are faced with that kind of change, people look for control. They they need to control their reality. Mm. So you can't control what is uncontrollable. So find what you can control and really focus on that. Mm. So can you get an absolutely killer CV? Can you make seven applications to new organizations? Can, can you um can you do something that you've always wanted to now hmm. that you've never had the time for do you know, so finding that control so that's the first thing the second thing I'd say is really look at how you identify yourself a, 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 as a person and and you can write a list even and, and it's a very simple task just write a list of everything that makes you you if your career's in there then you're not looking deep enough because a person is so much more than just a career so it's about bringing it away from the that loss of status and and, and that loss of of power and, and you have the practical the financial stuff as well mm. but look at your worth as a, as a person and detach it from the um the event that's occurred um so those 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 are two really important things, I think. And 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 it, it, if you feel yourself struggling seek help, that, that that's that's the it could be life coach, it could be a friend, it it could be a family, it could be anyone. Yeah. Talk about it. Talk
0: about it. Um don't attach, try as much as you can not to attach your identity and your self worth. Yes. To your job. I think it's a very, very important piece of advice. Yeah. yeah. Self worth, especially.
1: Yeah. One, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was actually one of my first ever um, encounters with any kind of life coaching. Mm. And he said, and this is in relation to job interviews and people, when it comes to a job interview, they see the status of the job and they automatically um, place themselves below that status in the hierarchy. So that's the worst thing you can do. You are lowering yourself. You are devaluing and debasing your, 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 yourself before you've even gone for the job interview. Approach every job interview like a conversation with a friend or with a business colleague or someone that, uh, an acquaintance that you know well, um, and talk to them as equals. So when you get that job, and you're in the job. You're you're working with your management, and you're working with maybe people below you as well. You're treat you're talking to them in the same way as equals. And so, when it comes to a point where you you may be facing redundancy, or you may be facing um, a situation in that job that isn't that isn't satisfactory to you, that they may be trying to see you as less of an equal well you you're already of the mindset that okay you're br- you're breaking this contract that we made during the job interview so now i'm going to seek employment elsewhere and that's
0: very interesting
1: you're taking the the you're taking the the people out of it you're saying no this this was a business decision i made to enter a contract of employment with you these are the terms that I expect. We can have unwritten terms as well through conversation during interview. If you break them, I'll find terms with another employer. But all, all the while, I, I am an equal to you. I'm, I'm a human being just like you. Um, yeah.
0: that's, that's very interesting because I, I think in a, in a corporate structure that, that is a hierarchical structure and, and it's, it's all status, And people have, I know from working in within the hierarchy that status is very, very important to the people higher up the status food chain.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, And there is a kind of almost Darwinian uh, existential need to maintain that status hierarchy. Will Storr talks about this in, in, in the status game brilliantly. Um, and I just wonder sometimes if a flatter structure across organizations would, would not just be a a better way to do things and would deliver more for everybody. I understand like in an army, you need leaders, managers, troops, um, and people directing. But
1: yeah, I, I, you mentioned the word leader. So in, in, in organizations, there's not enough leaders. So from that point of view, anyone can be a leader in a certain situation. So um, if, if you're the, the head of catering, then you know the head of finance has nothing to do with, 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 with your field, even, even though he may in theory have a high status. But it's the difference between a leader and, and, and a manager or a boss. A boss sees the hierarchy and that's the, the paradigm that he works from. A leader sees people and treats them as people. So, and this is something I've always tried to do: is in anywhere I've worked, I will talk, I will give as much time to the to the temp cleaner as I will to my manager and, and, and colleagues. Because they're all valuable people, they're all performing a role that if they didn't do the unit wouldn't function well it could be argued that
0: the cleaner has probably one of the most important roles in the institution exactly because yeah. if the bins the trash doesn't get taken out and the, and and the
1: you know everything yeah. doesn't get cleaned nobody's yeah. going to be able to do their work the next day absolutely yeah yeah if maintenance don't change the light bulbs you're yeah. sitting excuse me you're sitting in a dark office yeah um do, do you know, so every everyone has a role to play everyone can lead in the wrong way Mm. So in terms of flattening, humans need to operate in a hierarchy, but that doesn't mean that you can you can't you can't create mini hierarchies within that. So a, a, and a leader at the very top needs to recognize this. That they, they need to understand that they you need to treat everyone as human beings even at the, the very bottom, um, all, all the way to the top um because that's how you how you keep people happy that's the, that's how you get buy-in mm. um there's there's a real interesting so um there's a book by carol dweck called uh, and it's about growth and fixed mindset so a, a leader has that very very much that growth mindset where he's, he's not stifling ideas from within the hierarchy to make sure that he's the guy that's perfect and in perfect control and keeping everyone in line and in check. Mm. And he he's the guy, he's the man. Those organizations always fail. And she, she uses the example of Xerox back in the eighties, was a failing organization. So she came in uh, as an advisor and said, change the leadership structure, mm. brought, brought in a new, and I can't remember a name off the top of my head, brought in a new leader, trains them with the growth mindset. And Xerox is now synonymous with, you know, paper management, whatever you want to, you know, printing and, and leafleting and, and, and all of that. Um. So, so, it's not so much about, from my point of view, flattening the hierarchy as creating leaders within the hierarchy.
0: Leaders as opposed to managers. Yeah. Um my my concern I I I personally think hierarchies are dangerous, right? And there's, there's a great example. I think it was one of the one of the Apollo missions. Um I actually learned about this from um, a Harvard professor who came into a, a technology company I worked at and told us this this very famous story. It's a wonderful story. And it's it's about the um one of I think it was might have been the Apollo or the Challenger mission that they were working on in, in Cape Canaveral. The rocket took off mm. it reached close to orbit and then exploded everybody on that rocket uh yeah. died yes yes what had happened was the um they had a very strange weather event the night before in florida and temperatures dropped below i think minus they were, they were freezing temperatures and of course some of the nuts and bolts on the on the rocket had either expanded or changed mm. and loosened, right? Um, but nobody in on the team had said anything about this possible the possibility of this happening. But there was an engineer, a very, very junior engineer, who was aware that below a certain temperature, these this nut or this these bolts on this rocket would expand and potentially the whole thing would explode, but he kept his mouth shut. Yeah. Because he was afraid of his manager. And he felt that if he spoke to his manager who was a he- higher in the hierarchy that he would get um, abuse or something over it and uh, yes. he kept quiet. Yes. And the person that came into the, the technology company that I was working at explained and, and really she felt that hierarchies themselves are inherently dangerous um in all organizations because they inhibit communication and um, particularly if you have a manager or a leader above you who's, who who um, wants to keep things quiet.
1: Yes. Many yeah. People will yeah. Do. Yes. I mean, I mean that, yeah, that, that's absolutely. Yeah. that That's a great point. Be, beware the tyrant, I suppose. Mm. Um, yeah, there there's other similar examples of, of hierarchies failing. I think that, we cannot escape our biology mm. and biologically in biological terms we form some form of hierarchy and and history for thousands of years shows us that through you know from the feudal age all the way up um so but it, so it's a flawed system the question is how do we make the best of it um So in, in that, that the story you're, you're, you're talking about, um, a culture of fear led to a absolute catastrophic disaster. Um, but if that culture was different, maybe it would have been different. Exactly.
0: Um, Adam Taylor, where can people find you? Where's your, um, have you got
1: a website or a yeah account? so, so you, you can find me at uh lifehubcoaching.com um you can find me on instagram um at lifehubcoaching um and i'm on linkedin you can find me on linkedin uh, that's a real good way to communicate with me actually i'm quite active on that one um and adam taylor i can send you the link
0: i'll stick the link in the
1: um, description box adam taylor thank you very much
0: it's been a pleasure and very very interesting thank you
1: pleasure talking to you thanks Mel.